0: Kyle, absolute pleasure to have you on HR podcast. Um, And to actually have listened to some of your previous podcast interviews, found them really enlightening. I know you're a busy man, so I'm really glad we can make this work and timely as well. Uh, Before I so before I kick into the the main question, can you give me a a little bit about your background? Then we're going to be talking about uh, the energy crisis, the energy cost crisis. Um, climate change so who are you to talk about that and where does your knowledge and experience come from on the subject? So uh,
1: I can't claim to be a scientist sometimes people get confused I'm not a climate scientist so we need to say that straight away and, I'm, and, and I don't have expertise in engineering um, as such in, in this, this field so I'm interested and I've always been interested in climate politics or environmental politics, so, uh, environmentalism. Um, and uh, my only claim to authority then is that is that I've been studying this for for that long. So um, I am I, um, skipping past my interest in the subject from about two thousand. Um, I started blogging in two thousand seven because I believe. There was quite a gap in the market. The debate about climate change and the debate about environment and energy um, had sort of become preoccupied with the question, um, is climate change happening? You know, yes or no. And I I didn't think that was um, enough. I think we needed to have a much broader debate and understand where Greens were coming from and what kind of world they wanted to create. Um, and what would it look like when we woke up in 2050 in the green utopia? Um, and I didn't think that was good. And, I, I, you know, I thought there were things that we needed to defend like democracy. Um, and and there's a, there was a, I was aware of a very pronounced anti-human element to green thinking that I, I, I wanted to bring out. So I, I blogged for many years. I became a researcher for UKIP MEP, Godfrey Bloom um in in uh, a few years later until about 2014 and then all along uh, all that all that while I was writing um occasionally for Spiked Online um online magazine um so there's a sort of big archive of articles there for the last from the last 15 years um and uh you you know people people often say um who uh More and more more hostile than than you have. You're not a climate scientist. What are your credentials? All I can see here is that you've got a a BA in politics and philosophy. Now, I was I've I've been quite clear about uh, what science uh, I think we can criticise as lay people, and 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 that the quality of the science. Isn't you? You don't need to be a climate scientist to, to understand a lot of these these claims um, and how a lot of the claims which are made are not made by climate scientists. You know the, the, the climate crisis isn't uh, a notion that comes that emerges from climate science, um, and you, you 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 don't need to therefore, or even if even if it did, you don't need uh, a climate science qualification to take part in that <laughs> debate it's a de- it's it's a it's a claim that the climate crisis is a claim that requires your obedience um, and and you don't have to consent to it um, uh, And that there's a lot of thinking you know you need to unpack why someone is is demanding your obedience <laughs> on the basis of a of a climate crisis because it might be that we do face a climate crisis but it might be that even then, it's still worth burning fossil fuels for, for their benefits, you know. We, we need to do proper cost-benefit analysis and we need to ask, um, well, well, you know, an, an, an environmental, uh, you know, a form of government that's that's organised around environmental principles might be far worse for us than, than democratic government, even if we make mistakes. Um, you know, even if there are, you, you know, that nobody is suggesting that there are not environmental problems and that, that climate change might be one of those environmental problems, but there is, um, you know, there are many ways to understand that problem and many ways to confront it. And there are a lot of data um, that suggests it's, 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 it's bunk um, that the, the climate crisis is bunk, not the climate change is bunk. So um, yeah, that's where I'd wrap it up.
0: Really. It's, it's, um so, if so <clears throat> on that on that note, then if that's the case, why are we in why are we experiencing right now an energy cost crisis? Yeah, why does that it's, what, why does that exist?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think the energy price, the energy uh, energy price crisis, is the consequence of about thirty or forty years of um, unchecked environmental thinking, <laughs> particularly in the post Cold War era, around nineteen ninety. Um, where energy policy, climate policy, green policy um, were the were, were essentially part of a, a consensus that grew out of post-democratic politics, if you want to call it that. So um, you know, through, through into the 2000s, um, you'll see there's no disagreement between in the UK. So apologies to listeners from elsewhere, but it's the same thing. Holds right that the, the the three main parties—Labour Party, Liberal Party, Liberal Democrats, and um, Conservatives—they don't disagree about climate change. They don't disagree about energy policy, um, and they even you know they even cement their lack of disagreement in in a you in know a formal almost consensus that's put to them. Uh, by green organisations, they say, "Will you agree to do this and not to not to debate it?" Um, it was a, a consensus that was engineered by a very powerful green think tank that operates in in Westminster. You know, runs it even runs some of the um, not select committees, parliamentary parliamentary groups, informal parliamentary groups that exist in Parliament, um, uh, called the Green Alliance. You know, behind a lot of a lot of um, policy initiatives, um, and, and and you know, so they got I mean, what one one instance of this consensus is in from about two thousand and fifteen or fourteen, where they get uh, Nick Clegg, uh, David Cameron, and Ed Miliband to sign this document, saying we're going to agree on on these particular policies. So um, so the background to our our crisis now is in the UK a failure to subject the most, one or certainly one of the most important policy areas to any democratic scrutiny. Um, And then to not allow in other institutions, in in government agencies or or in public institutions like the BBC, not to allow any debate. So if you were going to go and say there's something wrong with wind farms and solar panels and renewable energy, the BBC were able to say, you're a climate change denier. You're not coming on on the show, um, and, and the BBC is a particularly has a particularly powerful effect over the whole whole of the media uh, news broadcasting industry. And you know, that's the the centre of gravity. Um, and other broadcasters simply followed suit. So um, newspapers were, were were maybe a little bit more diverse, but but um, they tend to be aligned to political parties. So. You know, uh, a labour a labour a labor aligned newspaper isn't going to be criticising Ed Miliband for his environmentalism, and 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 it's going to it was hard for Telegraph journalists to sort of ask questions about what on earth David Cameron was doing on the rooftops of Greenpeace in in two thousand six. So you know, I mean, um, over the years, these kind of these kind of kind of people of some of them died like good good people like christopher booker and some of them just got booted off out of the out of the newspaper mainstream so so was a lack of debate a lack of democracy um and um and then it then our energy system as it were our, our supply um was subject to this undemocratic Policy making. So, as I so since about 2012, in the in the UK's power sector, this is electricity. um, There's about 30 gigawatts of coal capacity that was taken offline, um, partly as a result of domestic UK uh, legislation, which is boilerplated EU uh, legislation, like the large combustion plant directive which later became I think the industrial emissions directive so this just this this just sort of led to <coughs> a, a loss of very powerful plant baseload cheap and abundant and affordable plant um, but a lot of this was mitigated to some extent by the increased use of of uh, gas, so a lot of greens will say, "Oh wow, look how much power we create from renewables," and that's kind of true. Um, but as a percentage, the number of re- the, the amount of renewables on the UK grid has increased a, a, a great deal, but overall consumption has gone down. Um, and and uh, the, the 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 real effect was for coal to be displaced by gas, not not for renewables to um, as an absolute to replace fossil fuels Um, so our grid became very gas um, dependent whereas in the past you would get gas and nuclear sorry coal and nuclear providing you know a a, it's called baseload the minimum amount of electricity that you need and then gas (coughs) would be because gas you can turn on and off as the advert used to tell us Um, gas plant can do the load following. So as the, as you get peaks in demand and then troughs in demand, gas is cycled on and off to try and to try and follow this. So when you in have a lot of a lot of renewables, it creates a lot of noise and and um and now gas is being gas started to be used more for the base load, um which is very it's not not the not the best application for it. Um, so um I'm probably getting away from the question. Um, so um these these, these are sort of like the, the changes that were made directly by policy. Now, a much more sinister thing that's happened, I believe, is that, uh, and maybe we'll come on to this later on, I argue that the Green Movement is, w- would not exist without the uh, generosity, let's call it, of about half a dozen, maybe a dozen, possibly two dozen at a stretch green billionaires philanthropic foundations right so and they and they pour absolutely endless streams of money into into environmental organizations um for example jeff bezos has recently given 10 billion to to the green movement and that's all just going on on green campaigning organizations and and you you name them Um, uh, And and they're likely a beneficiary. Another is uh, Mike Bloomberg, the the news media mogul from the US. And he's he's put 11 billion into into philanthropy. (laughs) So he calls it and a lot of that philanthropy um, finds its way into, for example, anti-car uh, campaigns at local local governments. So a lot of the LTN movements that we've seen, a lot of the clean air movements. They call themselves clean air movements. They're just they're just uh, they attempts to remove cars from cities, to take cars away from working people. Um, these 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 turn out to be you know um, nth generation <coughs> projects funded by Mike Bloomberg and our own UK billionaire that I go on about a lot um, is Sir Christopher Hone who. who in 2020, he he spent 180 million dollars uh, on on green campaigning organisations. Now, now how have they worked? What what the likes of Hone has done and Green uh, and and Bloomberg is to create to create <clears throat> with others um, a a movement called ESG. Uh, so it's a shareholder investment movement. Um, and what that, what that was an attempt to do was to use the financial markets as a form of governance, as a form of regulation. <coughs> Excuse me. So, it, um, ESG, um, the E in ESG is environmental and the, the S is social and the, the, the G is corporate governance. Um, and so what they they tried to do was claim to, inv- to suggest to investors that if you put your money into fossil fuels there's a very high chance there's a big risk that the assets are going to depreciate too fast for you to, you, you know they're going to they they were they were, were going to be stranded it was called. You wouldn't be able to sell them, and they would diminish in value, and they would yield l- lower and lower returns. Clearly, something that we've seen is not the case because of the crisis that we're in. But anyway, they told investors that the um, governments were likely to take their assets away from them, or find them li- or find the companies and um, and then possibly the shareholders liable for causing um, uh, global catastrophic global climate change. Right, so. Um, so they said, you know, they've been trying to take Exxon to court, for, for instance, a, a lot and many other, you know, there, there, there's hundreds of, of court cases all over the world in which green organisations also funded by Mike Bloomberg and Christopher Honan and the such like. And Leo DiCaprio, we learned a few weeks ago, has, has spent a few million on, on trying to get um, uh, companies to be found liable in courts for future climate change that will affect the plaintiffs, the, you know, the, these these puppets that have seemingly brought the case, uh, the, the, you know, so so try and they, they, they find a dozen or so kids, um, and then they say these kids are these kids' futures have been ruined by global warming, um, therefore Exxon or BP or Shell are responsible. So you get. You get lots of these cases. And that was an attempt to tell shareholders, to show shareholders that their money was at risk. Because at some point, the courts are going to find in the favour of the plaintiffs. Um, so so this is like the performance wing of the ESG movement, if you like. So this frightened um, shareholders away from... Um, Uh, uh, fossil fuel from hydrocarbons and towards ESG stock. So they would go and buy stuff. And it also required um, shareholders to write to the companies that, or the banks or the financial institutions that they had interest in, such as uh, Barclays, and say, you're funding fossil fuel companies, you must stop um or we will sell our shares they it was called that that part of the movement was called divestment the, uh, and uh, and they persuaded a lot of institutions with a lot of money such as um uh, universities in britain and america some with billions in endowments you know in the operators charities themselves so they just pulled the money out anyway the result the, To cut that story short the result is that on uh, the, the the capital um the cost of capital for hydrocarbon uh, uh, energy projects um, increased in the case of offshore gas i think it increased to 10% um, and then for oil and uh, for for oil it went over 20% so if you you know uh, and the costs the, the result of that inevitably it's 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 a throttling um, you, you know standing on the neck um, of an industry is investment just went down like this. People still needed uh, hydrocarbon energy, and and the demand was still going up. Right, anyone could have looked at this data and seen the cost of capital is going up, the investment is going down, and this is before COVID. Um, and and uh, but but demand isn't isn't slowing. It's still it's going up and up and up and up and up. So this is inevitable. This this this. The, a, a crisis of this nature is, is indicated by the lines on the charts necessarily. So um, then we have COVID lockdown. Everyone locks down and actually energy companies have to shut down. They have to ramp down their production. There was an instance in which the, the, the demand became so low that the whole supply chain <laughs> ground to a halt and there were ships in the middle of oceans full of oil that were being unloaded that were being whose cargo was being sold off at negative cost they'd pay you to take it away from them because the the, the 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 situation was just unprecedented you know it takes it's a huge supply chain um with with a lot of repercussions and i mean greens will cock a hoop that that this this sort of proved that fossil fuels were were, were sort of some Uh, irrational thing um any anyway so so um uh, when we recover from covid um well when when the lockdowns are lifted a lot of a lot of companies found that they could not increase um production because they didn't have any capital um so a lot of you know a lot of a lot of people were laid off throughout the world in in the sectors a lot of plant was shut down a lot of wells were capped um and and then suddenly when when you're allowed to do things when people are allowed to go out again when they're allowed to go on holidays when allowed to fly um well demand demand increases and so this exacerbates what the curves on the charts were telling us before covid and it and and it and catastrophically so and and if you if you can remember at the time people were going isn't this wonderful this lockdown the skies are blue the streets are empty. The wildlife is returning, and that's true in a sense. If you like that sort of thing, it's it's a sort of slightly prettier state of affairs. But actually, it was catastrophic, um, and and uh, so a lot of a lot of people have tried to use the problems in the energy sector to to <clears> further <throat> the the green agenda. It's the build back better stuff. It's the it's the leveling up stuff. Um, you know, can I, they, can they I pull were... you back a
0: sec? Can, sure, yeah. Sorry. Can, can I join in? Um, coming back to you said earlier, I think you, you, what you said in, if I paraphrase, is that the roots of it begins post Cold War in yes. policy initiative. So explain that to me. What? Why then? and right. What yeah, was yeah, it? If yeah. that's the like case. Bringing you this podcast today, are our rugby for heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation founded in 2009 in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed on operations serving with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan in 2008. Rugby for Heroes fundraise for military charities. They do this by organising high-quality events which revolve around the themes of rugby, alcohol, live music, good food, good people. Since... They were formed. Rugby the for Heroes have raised nearly £120,000 for military charities. I have been a beneficiary of theirs in the past, and it's actually how I came to know about Rugby the Heroes, is when they reached out and helped me when I needed it most. And they have helped countless other individuals and countless other organisations help ex-military and servant personnel in their toughest times. Rugby the Heroes have got many events lined up for 2022. They've already held their first event. It was a supper club raising money for the 353 charity, and they have got more supper clubs and more festivals on the way. Look at their website, rugbytheheroes.org to keep up to date when the next events are. Make sure you get along to at least one of them if you can, and I will see you there. I've been to every one of their events since I became aware of rugby heroes and like I said since they helped me out and I'll be going to every single one of their events in the future wherever possible rugbyheroes.org or you can find them on social media at rugby heroes at rugby number four heroes
1: yeah so so um, I mean I I may I'll just add to that all of these indicators were known to the likes of policymakers such as Rishi, Rishi Sunak and the, 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 the you know, the, the governor of the Bank of England. It's not possible for there not to have been a, um, uh, an awareness that, that there was a diminishing um, supply of energy and increasing demand that were being amplified when lockdown was lifted, um, and that this was going to have inflationary, big inflationary impulse. Um, they didn't care because it 's not in their priorities, right, so for the it, 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 you if you read some of the bank of england's uh considerations about climate change and economics, it could be written by greenpeace now that 's significant because it means that green thinking green ideology has become embedded in the institutions of the british state right so 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 when I say there's no d- democracy there's no debate. Uh, um, For you know, since 1990, Um, uh, it's exactly that. It's got to the position where nobody within that you would expect to be keeping an eye out for this stuff. Say, well, the Bank of England's got this 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 really nutty idea that if we if we all are powered by wind turbines, then then we'll all be richer, right? Uh, There's no one scrutinizing that from within 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 the establishment from within the state. Um, uh, you know, and the, and the, and there's no sort of um, cognizance of the fact that the public might have a different view on on the agenda, on on the reorganization of society in this way, and the reorganization of, of the principles on which society um, is is managed by government. Um, we, you know, we, we might disagree, and we and we might not want to carry the consequences of of um, of of that that new configuration of, of the state so so um, I, I, I think that their sort of indifference to people's needs um, and if you like their intransigence to criticism um, cr- creates the situation um, in and maybe around a year ago you've got Rishi Sonak. remember everyone now knows in 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 autumn 2021 everyone the Bank of England, the Treasury, the government knows that we are facing rising energy prices. It's, it's, <coughs> it's a really, really uh, uh, um, uh, properly problematic increases. Yet Rishi Sonak stands on the, sh- the stage at COP26 <coughs> and says, hooray, we have aligned financial institutions with assets under management worth $130 trillion towards this project. This is a wonderful thing. But this is, that's what's caused the problem. That's precisely what's caused the problem. And he knows it. I mean, uh, Rishi Sonak, in fact, used to work f- for Christopher Hone at his investment firm, the, the children's investment, TCI. Um, so, so, you know, so he knows full well. What what's going on within the markets? He knows full well that there's an inflationary um, force developing, um, but he 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 just carries on regardless, um, as, as does Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England uh, governor, um, and as as, do, as does the government because they think they can take advantage of the crisis to further further their agenda. They lose control um, uh, because I mean in, in in many senses the green the the green these green strategies were far more successful than even they had imagined they would be, and they pushed the world towards post-carbon um, far faster than it was it was you know it was capable of keeping up with, and 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 it's all fallen over, um, and it's caused this crisis. Is, is that clear <laughs> enough? I could I could go over it some some part <laughs> of it more, a bit of a rant, but um...
0: <laughs> coming back back to post-Cold War, the origin yeah. the origin of, of the policy initiatives then. So the, so the genesis of where we are now is I think what, what you're insinuating. What, why then and what, and what was it? Mm. That was, well it depends on, on what, what level of government you want
1: to talk about it at but um, <laughs> I, the most interesting thing for me that I talk about quite often is um, uh, I think it's the United Nations Human Development Report. <laughs> Um, in the immediate aftermath aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union, is is like uh, this is like wow, well, you know, now the world's... Can get on with the project without this awful conflict that's been dragging down human development for the last it was since the end of the cold war sorry so the end of the second world war right and it's true right uh, and and if you look at if you look at all of the statistics from 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 all you know the human development indicators from all over the world you, you see things begin to radically change after 1990 this just unprecedented <laughs> Um, shift much of it, much of it, sort of uh, the central gravity of which is around China, because it, it, it's still it's still a communist regime, it's still a relic of the, of the Cold War in, in a sense. But nonetheless, it shows that that that, uh, that that this wealth being created and wealth being finding its way, or or being created <laughs> by. By some of the world's poorest people, and, and and you know you see this infant mortality. I was looking at it today. Infant mortality in Pakistan in 1950, in the 1950s, was around 33 percent. A third, a third of children did not make it to their fifth birthday. Now it's now it's much much lower, around three percent, which is far too high. But um, so I was looking at this in the context of the uh, the floods that have just happened, and people saying, "Oh, climate change is getting worse." No it isn't. Look at the data. This is, the, you know, if you imagine everything you've been through, all of the kids that you knew at school, your contemporaries, a third of them would not have been there. Well, that, Why
0: the do you say three percent is too
1: high? Oh, because we wouldn't accept it here. We wouldn't accept infant mortality at three percent. Oh, sorry, I'm oh, sorry, be, okay,
0: so, okay. Yeah, okay, we, we,
1: it needs to, I mean it needs to be zero. But, you you know, to get, we we needs to be, you you know, it needs to fall by the same amount, the same proportion. I Um, I misunderstood the context. I misunderstood
0: the context before you were saying. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, (laughs) no problem.
1: Um, So anyway, I I was going off a diversion. Um, The, uh, yeah, so the human development report was really optimistic at the end of the Cold War. And then that guy got fired. <laughs> the guy who put, you know, the, the UN uh, guy that was put in charge of that. And the next episode is like a mushroom sh- cloud-shaped hole filled by the story of climate change in the UN's outlook. It's not optimistic anymore. All of the threats of the nuclear war are replaced by the threats of global warming. So why? The, 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 why? Why did that? Why is that the case? Uh. I think, because I think that the the sort of the the nature of a global political project is that it requires, uh, 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 let me put it differently. Every utopia needs a dystopia. You can't make an argument for utopia without a dystopia to escape from. Even the original book, Utopia by Thomas More, he describes life in Tudor England and then he describes this mythical island. Now he's just making a, you know, it's a, it's a device for him. He's saying we don't need to manage uh, um, uh, Tudor England in this way. We could get rid of the degenerate aristocracy or just its excesses um, and and reorganize society. It's a bit commie, but he's making the point as a warning as much a more uh, as much as a, an advocacy. Right, six so A we could just get rid of all these rich people and, and, and then everyone be able to use the land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so um, the, the UN, and, and I think there is, I mean, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Greenham women do the same thing. They go from from, from uh, Greenham Common to a climate camp because their their outlook, the ideology, it needs a global catastrophe of of the scale of the of of the uh it's to fulfill you know their their emotional understanding their relationship that's all that's all deep waffle right um i think the institutions that were created at the end of the cold uh, the end of the second world war and that sort of developed around the problem of um uh global global war um i think they can't very few institutions public institutions big political institutions are not going to sort of say mission accomplished we're shutting down right it's not possible for them to do that they, they they have to find they have to find a raison d'etre they have to they and and that 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 sort of you know their interests embedded in in those kind of political projects even if they are sort of legitimate
0: um so yeah when you put it when you put it like that it, it when you put it like that it reminds me of uh big farm it, yeah especially in the states where they need sick people just they need yeah. an unhealthy they need an a, a, a large proportion of the population to be unhealthy so they can make the money now i mean I, i'm trying to i don't really want to get into the weed, the conspiracy theory deep conspiracy theory weeds which sometimes we talk about this it can be it, it can appear like that, but it's, it's not the case. But one, one thing you were talking about there, I and mean, we going back to the, the uh, post-Cold War, as you were explaining, that you also referenced the Second World War. When I was, when I read Alex Epstein's uh, book, Fossil Future, now he what's interesting is he references that, he says that in the 70s, 60s, 70s, the general consensus was among climate scientists, environment scientists, scientists in general who, who had expertise and, and, and researched that, that area, was that we were actually heading for something nearer to an age. We were actually going to have hmm. catastrophic cooling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yet yeah, a couple of decades later, as you explain it, maybe that seems to have shifted yeah. to bring us where we are now, which is interesting. Yeah the
1: the um I mean that's the other the the, the I mean um I, I start my points that discussion there starts in you know 1990ish the end of the the cold war but actually the the green the green thing probably started in in around 1972 so the UN creates the United Nations Environment Program in 1972 and it's very it's very instructive there's a really good video that the, the UN produced um of their first environment program summit in in uh, Stockholm, um, and it's all the same arguments. It's all it's, it's like. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's lovely to watch just because it's the same arguments, different cars, different clothes, and it's and it's shot on film, and and it's so it's all it's all like it's very nostalgic. But it's like nothing's changed, it's, and the only other. Th- thing that's changed is none of them are then talking about global warming climate change they're talking about overpopulation and um, resource depletion because these were the main sort of stories in the climate in the environmental narrative at the time you know there's a paul ehrlich's famous book um the population bomb uh the, the the bible for baby haters um, I call it. And then there was the Club of Rome, which is, I mean, you know, the, 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 the this this agenda was kicked off by a guy called Morris Strong, who was an oil tycoon. And he was just let, allowed to create UN bodies um, with using his money and the money of the Rockefellers. We're going into the conspiracy weeds there, but it's historical <laughs> fact. Right. So then... Um, so, so, and the, and the, the video has uh, Morris Strong there talking about his project, and um, and then and yeah. So, so, I mean, Alex is right that people thought that global calling was on the way. That's more towards the end of the nineteen seventies, nineteen seventy nine. There's another great video of um, uh, Spock from Star Trek. De, Le, Leonard Nimoy, is that right? I think, and he 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 did this show, this sort of um, science-y show. Um, talking about while well, most scientists are projecting that that we're on the verge of an ice age, um, but but climate change wasn't um, wasn't as big a deal in the seventies at the beginning of the sort of the beginning of the global environmental movement and the UN's sort of embrace of the the, the movement um, that really comes out. I think this is another reason, perhaps, for the turnaround. Um, there's a very int- I mean and it might be that just they didn't have enough transistors. In in the um, it was in the 1980s that that um, the anti-war movement and, and sort of anti-war scientists um, started worrying about nuclear winter. So either, and that and that was that even a relatively small nuclear exchange would produce so much dust uh, and so much dirt, throw so much into the atmosphere that would cover the world for for a couple of years, um, and uh, and and that would lower lower um, the the temperature uh, to to um, you know so, so it was no longer sustainable life was no longer uh, sustainable in the real sense of the word not the BS the term so the um, uh, so those 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 models those computer simulations were then then sort of developed into GCMS uh, global climate models um, of the effect of CO2 in the atmosphere. So, um, you know, they, they started to build more powerful computers than, than had been available, um, you know, supercomputers that were able to start sort of um, producing these storylines. Um, so so that, that, that's, that's sort of the innovation that gave us. Gave, and, so, and so when, the, the, you know, the, the, the problems of nuclear, uh, nuclear war, global nuclear war, um, were sort of taken away you still had the models, um, the, you know, and 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 that's been that's been all the rage from the seventies. Is this and, and it's a, it's a, it's unexplored in, in in the debate, and I, and I think that's a pity. Is um, what's called cybernetics it's just, uh, and and um, other things that the likes of James Lovelock pioneered, um, which is that you can model. Uh, the natural world, and you can model the uh, human world, and you can model the interactions between them. Now, um, as a, as a, as a science, that's been a dismal failure, and so has incidentally ecology, which is the sort of the the the, the, the attempt to use um, those kind of insights from modelling um, and control um, to to uh, understand what's going on. With the world, they 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 they, they have had not very little success. The sciences, but they have immense political utility. They, they they're very easy to use um, because it, because it's sort of it, it, it's something that makes almost intuitive sense that you, you can have these very simplistic models um, of 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 how how the world works, and from that you you, you can sort of produce legislation or, or regulation or start to explain. Um, what what political institutions you need to make sure that this there's no disequilibrium in the world? That's that's the term that that's the thing that they're terrified of. So there's a, uh, uh, and and so it all looks very scientific. But what what when you sort of start to pull it apart, what you realise is that the myth of balance, the myth, the the homeostasis um, and equilibrium precede. The' modeling right they, the scientists don 't find equilibrium or balance it 's presupposed and it's a, I argue it 's a mystical presupposition it 's an ideological uh, presupposition that that computers only find because they 're circular the, you know the, the the process the 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 scientific process of producing these models saying, "Oh my God, look, the world is out of out of out of equilibrium. The whole system is going to collapse now we just have to work out when so they they build these models uh, and it says oh we're good. society's going to collapse in twenty twenty one and 21, 21 comes along and it turns out we 're all richer, we all live longer we 're all healthier,'re we all wealthier, blah blah blah." And they go, oh, it's not, it's not if, it's when. So it's probably 2040. Oh, it's 2050. You know, and so, um, and and then what? What that urgent urgency and that hysteria denies us is an opportunity to point out, you, your models presuppose equilibrium, and and it's not a thing that you understand. You 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 know. So you, you can't. You haven't modeled the world properly. It may not be possible to model the world properly, and and so we have to we have to we have to ask the question of whether equilibrium, homeostasis, balance, harmony, nature have any scientific meaning whatsoever. And that's that's at the root of uh, of, of of green uh, thinking, I think. And that's the problem with green thinking. But that may be too that may be too much of a Of a rant against
0: it. Uh, Bringing you this podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars was founded in 2021 by three friends, three former colleagues in the Parachute Regiment, the British Army. And I'm very glad to say I am one of those three. Very glad to have been invited into the company. And it is super exciting to be working with those guys again. Combat Cigars sources its cigars from a family who have been rolling cigars in the heart of Colombia for over 200 years the cigars that combat cigars supply to you are only available through combat cigars you cannot get these anywhere else each cigar is unique and we have four currently in the collection we have the last post we have the oath of allegiance we have the center of mass and we have the victory the victory features on its cigar band the medal ribbon of the South Atlantic medal with rosette. Very significant at the moment, given that it is the 40th anniversary of the Falklands conflict. Head over to Combat combatcigars.co.uk to see the collection. Also check out the Combat Cigars Humidor, which is handmade out of ammunition tins and will keep your cigars perfectly stored for whenever you need them. When you think of cigars for your next event, well, the next event you're at, be it a wedding, be it a mess do a dining in, a dining out, a promotion, or just getting together with your old crew, think Combat Cigars, Combat No, no, That's- no, not at all. It's interesting because it is. It's it's one of those. I mean, there's a few areas like it. A few other things like it. Like, um, sorry, to you know trying to model climate impact. Mother Nature, the impact on the world, even just the impact that we have on the world, even just, you know, doing it in, a, in, a, in one geographical area, the impact the city has on the surrounding environment, from humans, to build the building infrastructure, it's so complicated. I think it's, it's extremely difficult to do right now. but it doesn't stop people claiming to think they understand it or can predict it in the future. Um, yes. now, now, how much of a part is... So you, you mentioned the pandemic, the, the strangulation of energy supplies there because uh, oh, yeah uh, yeah some energy supplies there because of the pandemic and lack of demand, uh, the um, and then the build up of the green policies throughout the nineties, noughties to where we are now. Um, I've got so I've got a few questions. So first one is if because it seems seems to me what you're saying is it's plain to see that g- green policies are, are doing they're unachievable they're doing failure. So one is that they're irrelevant. They don't they they're not they are not they are not realistic what they want to achieve because they're addressing an issue that doesn't exist for nefarious purposes of which that in itself is complex, right? Um, but why would so why would government a government, any government, commit itself to policies which are so obviously not achievable.
1: Um,
0: or so, target, target, sorry, yeah, target no. that's so obviously not achievable.
1: That's a really good question. And um, so so first to point out, having said all that, right? So I, I think at the core of environmentalism is a misconception of nature and a lot of other baggage. Um I'm not, and so I, I would reiterate this. So I, I'm not saying there's no environmental problems. I'm not saying there's no pollution. I'm not saying it's a good thing that in some places rubbish and especially plastic is just poured into rivers which go to the sea. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it's a, it's a good thing when we emit CFCs and soot into the air and, and it hurts a local area. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying clean air acts is a, is a bad thing. Um, so I'm saying environmentalism has to be understood as an ideolo- uh, ideology. So we have to understand it in the terms that we'd understand capitalism, if you like, communism, socialism, Maoism, Stalinism, fascism, Nazism. It's all in the ism and, and, and uh, they manifest isms, political philosophies isms manifest and develop in along historical lines for all sorts of reasons that are specific to the historical era. Um, And so putting it back together, why did why did this, why did this, this ism take hold, um, take hold at a particular time, at a particular place? It's it's always it's a job of historians and and and, you know, and scholars and, and so on. So I'll, I'll 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 offer a few ideas. So one is the possibility, as we were saying earlier, in at the end of the Cold War, something happens, and and uh, uh, what seems to happen to British politics. So let's let's be uh, particular about it. Is um, in. Peter Oborn's, I think, book on Peter Mandelson, I forgot which one now. Peter Mandelson is quoted as saying, this is a post-democratic era, right? So this is, this is my complaint. This is what I want to defend is democracy. And we see the UK essentially seed power to the European Union. We see democratic parties, uh, well, erstwhile democratic parties, hemorrhage vote of uh, members. Well, the Conservative Party loses millions of voters, uh, of supporters, members, uh, the Labour Party and Liberal Democrats equally. And I've spoken about the convergence of these political, the, these parties' political perspectives. And, and um, so, the, and this is the the beginnings, this is, this is what underpins the process of, of what a lot of people have identified as globalism, right? So so um if you like, you can say environmentalism is a part of globalism, in that there is a in the in the post-Cold War era, there's an attempt to build global institutions um above democratic control, um, whether that's at the UN, um which obviously was is a post-war post-war, not just a post-Cold War institution, but that's the sort of model. Um and you and we get these weirdo the um, WF-type organisations trying to contr- control that process. And I'm, 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 I'm keeping out of the weeds here. So I'm, I'm trying to be objective on just saying this is a process. The, de- 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 un- the de-democratisation it, it takes many forms, um, but it's an observable fact uh, you, you, uh, of, of post-Cold War politics. And, and many people feel left out of that process. Um, uh, 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 and, uh, you know, whether that's the EU membership and the policies that come from the EU or whether that's the stuff, that the COVID stuff, um, or whether that's just feeling what's the politically left behind. You know, people people feel alienated from mainstream politics. And and you can see it in turnouts. It goes down like this. So, uh, I mean, I I think globalisation at its core, ideological core, is nothing, it's nihilism. There's nothing there, right? It just, it's just an accretion of power um, because they can, right? Because there's no, there's no contest of political ideologies. There's no, there's no constituencies there. Um, you know, there's just people who can organize the world in their interests and, and everyone else. Um, but, it, but the absence of um, ideology um, leaves those kind of global projects with the need for purpose. So they so, say, well, what, what are you what are you about? So I think powerful people um, and people who sort of want to sort of organise the world better, build back better and so on, whether that's at the UN or the WEF or a sort of degenerate in number 10 who never really stood for anything, who never really knew why he was there, he just wanted the job, um, So he could go down in the history books as a a sort of a Satz Churchill. um, Environmentalism comes to the rescue of such a vapid creature. Right Environments and say well it 's okay boris you 're you're, you're a planet saver now. he never really represented his he, you know his part, the, the, the constituency of conservative thinking, just as Ed Miliband never really stood for working the working class interests right um, and uh, God knows what Nick Clegg or Ed Davey ever stood for but but i I, I doubt if you did in the final analysis, anyone will find a, a genuine um, re- reflection of what of 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 Liberal Democrat memberships uh, or you know voters' interests in in in, in Ed Davey. Um, and this is to sort of I'm not going to insult Ed Davey, but the, the 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 point the point is that that we, we sort of enter an era of of anime and malaise, of intellectual nihilism. And environmentalism is is kind of in, in this sort of post left post right um, ideological landscape right and environmentalism turns up and it seems to be based in science, and it seems to have answers about how the world should be reorganized and it, say, and it says what kind of institutions you need, and it sort of sets out the proper relationship between um, between, between uh, individuals and and, and governments. Um, between the public and the state so so it 's very attractive and it 's very seductive um, and it 's kind of sexy and it 's kind of glamorous because um all the all the PR that's pumped into it and I and I just think you've got very weak politicians who don't really stand for anything and 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 public political institutions that have a very have, you know that their founding purposes are lost in time and I think this happened you can see this throughout the west and you can see it at the, the UN and and so so environmentalism kind of wins by default and a lot of these movements Turn up at these 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 organisations, um, and they're just pushing at an open door, and there's not there's no resistance to the agenda. I'm not sure if that if that's answered your question clear enough, but I'm looking at it historically,
0: um, or attempting to. Now, every time you open your mouth, it, you're, you're prompting more questions in my mind. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm consistently writing down on my notepad. Yeah, no, it's no, it's re- it's uh, it's really interesting. To hear your your thoughts on it? Qu- question. So. um, uh, what about the validity of the finger or, or in but invalidity the validity of the finger pointing going on at the moment towards the energy the uk century obviously towards the energy companies towards russia towards the ukraine crisis um is there any substance to that should it should it be happening is there any blame or or yeah cause of the effect to be, to be assigned there
1: yeah, uh, well, I mean, in, in major, major uh, points first. So I think um, Russia, Russia's become the sort of uh, scapegoat or whipping boy or whatever you want to call it um, for this, uh, this inflationary crisis, um, this pri- energy price crisis. Um, and, you know, Biden's doing, he's saying Putin's price rise. Putin's uh, Putin's inflation, but actually, um, I pointed out in a number of places. If, you, if you're interested, um, if anyone's interested, it's in my videos and it's in, in on my Twitter feed. Um, you, you just just plot a gra- graph of of uh, gas prices, historic gas prices, and then find the point at which Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. You'll see that the prices were spiking long before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, um, and uh, harder to show but um it's it, it's true all the same uh, people were telling me that there were energy traders were telling me that there were um unprecedented price uh signals uh on the horizon uh, before even the troop troop build up began at the the border of Ukraine and um uh, Russia so a year before could that
0: not be um, could that not be attributed to the political uh, climate at the time between russia and the
1: west so, um, well i mean that's that's been historically the case um so there was nothing exceptional about kind of the the, the friction between the russia and the west i mean it's um and, and, and as i say this is this is, the, this is the consequence of the lines we were talking about earlier you can you can it's it's much more likely i mean it's much more bl- mike bloomberg than it is vladimir putin i mean it's, it's, it's provably so You know his the interventions by the likes of him and the Bank of England, um, especially under the direction of um, Mark Carney, who's essentially um, Mike Bloomberg's bitch, if I can put it so bluntly. Um, And he used the he used the Bank of England
0: to 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 advance those policies. So it it all sounds like short term advantage, there. Though, I mean, from so if I was looking at it. Uh, really you know really simplifying it and looking at it from a from a like an investment perspective uh you know uh, the jeff bezos the bloombergs thinking where should i apply my effort i and money uh for gain the the, the green initiative seems relatively short-term compared to what yeah you know, if, if what yeah. you're saying is correct and. And it's not the way to go. And long term, the thing you know, we should be continue to use fossil fuels, no, clean up our act where we can, but use fossil fuels. And um, long term, is there. We we well, I mean,
1: um, on, we 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 can sort of take maybe maybe in that you know to be charitable, they didn't expect it to work out so well or to be <laughs> in in terms of the ambition, or 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 to you know to produce effects so quickly. Um, if we're less charitable, well, maybe we'll find that there are. This is a pump and dump scam. The ESG were pumped and dumped, uh, or, or or vice versa, dump and pump. In that, you, you, who knows right now, right? This is why you need scrutiny of financial institutions. This is why we need to sort of keep an eye on it because it might. Yeah, it might be that you know there are people who have funded it, who've sort of deliberately um, wound down. Hydrocarbon sectors, in order to be able to put their money there and then take advantage of the inevitable, let's remember, I- I- inevitable price rises. And they're they phenomenal price rises in just on commodity, just of the price of the commodities. If you, you, know, you, could, you could 10x or 100x your money in this way, uh, you could turn a billion into 100 billion. Um, you know, you, you spend, you know, a, a couple of hundred million on the PR to, to I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that's speculation and that, that sort of mm-hmm. that leads to conspiracy theorizing, but it's possible. And and that's the sort of thing that typically you would have financial institutions looking out for. They would say, who's buying shares in what? What interests have they got? Is there something funny about the timing? Of these purchases or these sales or or, or um, these acquisitions or do, uh, what you call it the sell, sell selling so uh, so disposals so so you know there are people who would normally be on the lookout for that sort of thing but 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 aren't. And, and so, and, and so uh, they need to be, we need to sort of look more closely at the relationship between um, people with a lot of money in politics and, and their investments and so on. But actually, instead, what you'll find is um, the UN chief um, pretty much doing a, a real time hagiography of Mike Bloomberg. You can't get enough of him. He loves him. Um, you know, there's a, there's a clip I use in one of the videos of him saying, you know, pretty much calling Michael Bloomberg a saint, as if as if Michael Bloomberg hadn't increased his wealth during lockdown from around 50 billion to in excess of 80 billion dollars. That's just a, I mean, I didn't do that well out of lockdown. I bet you didn't either. But to, to increase your wealth by over 30 billion in a couple of years is just an insane amount of, uh, I, I don't know what you'd call it, that raised no eyebrows.
0: So how did he manage that then?
1: I don't know, actually. I've not, done, I've not done the deep dive on his investments. They're too, too um, you know, Forbes keeps a track of, of what people are worth. Um, and I, I only use the figure to point out that yeah, he spent 11 billion on philanthropy, but if you spend 11 billion to gain 30 th- to gain 30 billion, you're quids up in yeah, that's in, not philanthropy. Yes, yes, yeah. it's not.
0: So we, we are where we are now. Ben, um, I say we are where we are now. It's certainly in the UK. I don't want to speak for other countries. I know, I know you don't want to either. Other countries, people's opinions, right? But um, I'm definitely afraid of the pinch. The cost the pinch, definitely afraid of it. Well, so the people. I think I'm. Mean, i say i say free, afraid. Maybe afraid is the wrong word. Concerned about it, but one because seems to me is going to be a price rise coming. Is already a. already price rise happened. It's going to continue, but yeah. the 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 uncertainty of how big that's going to be, and the way the numbers are being, the the, the high end potential for the numbers are being uh, communicated in the media is very very concerning, um, if they're to be believed. But where we are now, right? Short term and long-term, what, what do you think could or should be done to try and stabilise things now and pull things back to a sensible, uh, a sensible situation in the future? Um, realistically, realistically. I don't think you, there in, are fact, any- in fact, sorry, sorry, what, sorry, sorry, to jump in. Do you think that this, this price could this situation we got at the moment the the price crisis do you think that it could um, it could start to turn people's opinions on the on the green policies and or cause them to look a bit more in depth at scratch the surface of why we're doing yeah. what we're
1: doing? Uh, th- that's a really good question too um, uh, so i think that, that would depend on how successfully the likes of boris johnson and his successor convince the public that it's Vladimir Putin not Greta Thunberg that's responsible for this right so I, I'm, I'm joking Greta wasn't responsible for this she's just a, she's she's just a kid she doesn't make any decisions for politicians they just hide behind her that's all so so the um so I hope you, you know Boris is sort of in the mail the other day mail on Sunday I think saying the price the the prices were you know these price rises your energy bills going up to four or five six maybe seven thousand pounds a year i i think maybe that may be too alarmist but we'll see um he says that's a price worth worth paying for defending freedom and democracy in ukraine i think i think we're not defending freedom and democracy. that's that's another story i um, but i think that's a sort of uh um uh, a sign of desperation on the establishment's behalf that he's making that, those kind of statements because the bottom line doesn't work like that for most people. Like it's, it's, it's not like kind of, oh, well, I've lost my house, I have lost my job. I can't go on holiday. I can't buy food. I can't, food, can't do, can't buy the things I need for my kids, but at least I'm defending freedom and democracy in Ukraine or at least I'm saving the planet. People are gonna ask, I hope, and this is the question that you um, is climate change policy, Better or worse than climate change? Because I, 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 I reckon that seven, or even, even the bills that we've got on the cards now are £4,000 a year. I think that's going to do a lot more harm than any plausible degree of climate change will do. So, so, um, that once people start asking that question, and it's not like you have to ask people that question, right. Assuming the (laughs) emphasis, I don't think people are going to be persuaded that 4,000 pounds a year is worth it for Ukraine. And I don't think they're going to be persuaded it's worth it for climate change. So, so, and, and people will ask, ask ask that question themselves when they start feeling that when the lights get cut off, when the power gets cut off or when they can't, they can't do the things that they used to, um, that uh, they'll say, I don't think this is worth it, um, When if they're given the choice. I think there is cognition of that in the Tories. So I think both, even though Rishi Sonak has said um, he's not going to cut net zero, I think he recognises that it's got to change. Um, I think it's still up in the air. I think, I think Liz Truss is a little bit more... Um, a little bit more sceptical of net zero, but it's, it, the question is: Is she going to be capable of resisting the forces that are around her in much of the way the the forces that were around um, uh, Boris Johnson um, during the pandemic? You know, it's it's not it's not like that. She's on a throne, and what she says goes. nor nor he, although no matter that they treat things like a coronation, they're surrounded by people, they're surrounded by the civil service, they're surrounded by the party, there's a very strong green element within the party. And then, of course, we may end up with Labour. So I may be straying from your point.
0: Bringing you this podcast today are the Aardvark Group. Founded in 1982, Aardvark has established itself as a major player in its field, renowned for its exceptional technology and innovative propositions that have supported countless defense ministries, the humanitarian and NGO sectors, and commercial operators in theaters of war and post-conflict environments around the world. Aardvark is foremost a humanitarian organization working to help rid the world of the explosive remnants of war. Their technologies are uniquely developed by operators for operators, which ensures that every product, system, or platform conforms to the essential criteria of stability, Survivability and reliability. Aardvark know that to have a truly lasting positive impact, their technologies must be cost effective. And so they've commissioned a number of projects with their research partners to develop technical innovations with a core aim of delivering affordable solutions that can be deployed directly into communities to reduce the incidence of accidents and deaths due to explosive threats. As well as their core products and services, they also have an online shop where if you're an individual who works in a post-conflict zone, in a high-threat situation, in a high-threat environment, you can get kit from Aardvark. Their website is ardvark.group. Go there and at checkout, use the discount code HHOUR. And while you're there, make sure you check out all of their products, all their services, including unmanned ground and air vehicles.
1: Can you remind me? Sorry, your question. No, no, it's fine. Because I am. You started answering. it. I
0: ambushed you with another question. So, short-term and long-term actions that we government could take to
1: right. So, short-term is stabilised. Yeah.
0: Short-term stabilised, right?
1: Yeah. I I mean, we. we, uh, So, there, there is not much when you're in that kind of this kind of crisis. I don't think there's much you can do. Um, because the the option you 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 know you it's like what what do you do once you're falling you you you, you can try and cushion the landing. Um, the, there are lots of crazy ideas out there that aren't going to work. There's nationalisation, um, as if the government was uh, was 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 a better manager. I mean, we've seen it. The same people who say that the government is this corrupt, terrible organisation also want the government to be in charge of pr- pr- energy. I mean, it's what do you want you do you either love the tourists and want them to be in charge of your energy or you know get real um uh, and and they point to france where actually france is now 80 percent nationalized energy or power sector anyway um is is certainly no better organized than than uh, than ours um and you know half of the french reactors are, are offline and it's facing probably just the same kind of winter as we are um uh, then there's there 's Off, um, offline
0: because of oh, sorry offline because of green policy
1: oh no no i mean no, the the nuclear reactors just sort of um, are old they haven 't been invested in france's been a bit of a basket case for the last few since you know the mm. jaunes. they haven 't been maintained they haven 't been you know the uncertain energy policy has has sort of mm. led led to just sort of uh, poor poor management, so a lot of them are offline because they need to be fixed. Um, but then uh, it, you know, it's got this and it's got the same problems with gas. I mean, they are they, saying France is better because the energy price cap there only went up 4%. But actually what happened, um, I mean, it's true, it's only gone up 4%. But if you remember, price rises three years ago in France sparked the gilets jaunes and a year of violent protests um, clashing with the police for every weekend. Uh, in, in, in every major city so they they need to avoid that and and uh, and, and in any case even though uh the french energy company is uh, uh, largely state-owned it's still suing the government right for for, for the price cap because it, says it can't operate so it's it's you know mm-hmm. the, so um it, the other thing that people are suggesting that happens in the uk is um that we just pay people's bills we give people money to pay their bills but the problem with that is if you look at supply and demand if you're chasing if you're giving people money to chase a resource which is scarce which then then all that that may do is increase the price in, indefinitely so you may end up with a, a runaway price signal um and so you, which will have no no good effect um, I forget what the other the, the other option that the Labour party, though the, the the taxing the windfall stuff. But again, you take the money from the company to buy the energy, and it just pushes the price up. So these these aren't these aren't very workable solutions. The only thing that you can really do in a supply crunch is find a way as quickly as possible to increase supply. You now that's not nuclear. It's not wind turbines. Um, so, uh, one thing that might happen is that demand is reduced by, by, by just businesses folding. I mean, we've got, we've got reports that pubs are just closing left, right, and centre um, because they're being presented with 60,000, 70,000 pound a year bills. Um, and they're being demanded up front as well because they know that there's a very high risk of, of pubs uh, uh, failing um so so pubs are just saying that's it we can't we can't afford that i mean i've known people that have run pubs really lovely pubs that have 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 been extremely popular
0: but they run that industry in particular why that industry in particular forgive my ignorance
1: i don't know it's just the one that i think sort of um interesting uh there's been similar cases with um, takeaways which run on small margin oh, okay. a but bo- there 's a butcher's there was a bo- story a few stories about butchers who they're talking who, small
0: um, small small businesses small businesses like which uh, we, we well, narrow uh, uh, enough margins uh, anyway yeah,
1: right? yeah that 's right exactly yeah and then, you know i 've seen a, a few quite a few cafes put site, you know people I mean people share this stuff with me so maybe i 'm seeing i 'm getting a distorted sample of it, but yeah little you know um uh, mum a mum and Husband or mum and sister um cafe in in the Midlands, been bubbling along for nice, you know, nicely for ten or twenty years, um, uh, and has had just about survived COVID, and then it's whacked with a sixty thousand pound a year bill. But it's only ever been two full time employees and a couple of part time staff. Um, you know making sandwiches you know just a lot of a lot of a lot of uh the economy is is is, is made up of stuff like that um and y- y- you know they're just going to go closing down um because because it's it's you know yeah with the, with the pub the margins are small the same with these, these places and they're and they're already facing rent and 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 their own other price rises too and a loss of disposable income amongst their customers. So it's, it's, it's uh, bad. So anyway, I've gone off the point. The, um, which was? Short term, um, short term. Short term, short term. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that might, so that, that those loss of the, the small businesses and of industrial, large industrial plants um, such chemical processing Might shut down as well. So we have just seen in Germany um, the electricity market and in Europe the gas market. There's been a drop in in the price in the last few days of about thirty percent, and everyone's going, "Ha ha, take that, Putin!" Um, And and that everything may be correcting again. But this is this is naive because uh, first of all, the energy prices, even if they fell thirty percent in two days, are still um, uh, a thousand percent of what they were. Uh, previously, and um, it might not be good news that the price is falling. It might mean that people are just going exactly I've like just said they're just going not buying, and people and buyers, energy buyers on the on the wholesale market on the year ahead market, mm. um, they're going we're not going to have any customers in a year, mm. um, and so the so they they're, they're closing down, um, which is I mean yeah I mean we haven't talked about the influence of Russia and all of that and the, the attempt to the sanctions against Russia, um, which were just self harming, really. But but that's that's for another day. I think environmentalism um, has enough of an underpinning in this in this um, this this crisis mm. that we don't what need to. About, don't know. What
0: about long term? I mean, in terms of increasing our energy supply, long term. I know that uh, mm. I know that uh, nuclear is consistently referred to by people who are on the opposite side of thinking as being very uh, and uh, sorry, going back to your point, to start. You're no, you know, uh, energy scientist or engineer, but you're m- m- well researched. Nuclear being a good, op, uh, a very good option, and uh, and all. What about fracking? And so, one of the one of the patrons brought up the question of fracking. It's not something I well read into in terms of impact, um, but nuclear. I, I think I, fracking or not What's the viability of that? well um to produce energy. yeah i
1: mean we we weren't allowed to find out in britain like we should have been we should you know if the greens hadn't been so alarmist and and we had been allowed to um i mean it's a, there's a video of uh, i use a lot as well of, of andrea Leadsom saying we're going to ban fracking in about 2019, which is you know, continuing continuing the moratorium that the coalition government had placed on fracking. And there's a video of Ed Miliband, not Ed Miliband, Ed Davey, taking responsibility for 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 the moratorium on fracking. But if it, if, it, if we'd if we'd have been allowed to find out is fracking viable, well, that would, that would have been wonderful. But it's always Greens, you'll notice, it's always Greens um, that are against stuff, and um, they made nuclear power expensive. So we we could have we could have developed much better nuclear power technology. You know, there's even there's even reactor designs that consume their own waste or consume other nuclear reactors waste, right? So um, and they're they're passive. They're they you know they're safe. In the event of a malfunction, they cease to produce a uh,
0: fission reaction right and, um, and and less of an impact on the environment than oh the much, green yeah well, um, up, up. yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, um, just
1: they don uh, 't they don um, 't they, um, they don't they don 't yeah i mean i mean some some greens now mark Linus, but um, he 's still got a lot to answer for, has been sort of pushing at this saying g- g- the greens antipathy towards nuclear has been extremely 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 harmful self-harmful uh, and he's right but he, i mean we don't need greens to make the arguments it's it's uh we shouldn't we could have had um, you know we if we'd have if, if greens had been really interested in saving the world from climate change um, we we could have had a nuclear uh, research program um, that you, you know so the way i put it is this right uh, in when i when i I, I did a degree late. Um, uh, went back to school, you know, when I was like in my thir- early thirties. And uh, at the time, the the university wanted to expand, wanted to double in size, was York, um, and that was going to cost it. That was going to cost somebody half a billion, 500 million. Now, if you think that um, around that time was the start, sort of the era in which we started subsidising. Um, Renewable energy. So now we spend about before this stupid price rise, we were spending about 10 billion a year on subsidies for windmills for solar panels. Now, what if, and I'm not, I'm not advocating this, but what if rather than spending 10 billion a year or even a fraction of 10 billion a year on <laughs> on rent to feudal landlords, you know, big landowners. What if we spent that on subsidising STEM students to do their, their, their degrees, their masters, their PhDs in high energy physics? What if we, you know, and then what if we, like, you know, if you compare the costs, I forget now how much the um, joint European tourists and the ITA projects for fusion Costs in in um, CERN or near CERN or I forget where it is, but the you know what if you spend it, it turn, and so it turns out that you know, if you've got this every European country doing this spending their equivalent of, of ten billion a year you'll have hundred Cerns you'll have hundred Itas um in pretty pretty soon maybe two hundred so like that's how seriously the Greens want us to take energy. They're not investing in a proven science that can that can help us produce energy they they they're just want it to be it's just wealth transfer that's all that the greens are interested in restricting the material abundance of energy and and using that as a, as a means to yeah. cement their own power and pass money not let's work out how to how to do fission properly or to do fusion or to do a hybrid of fusion and fission which is how you burn waste um let's let's um let's make energy expensive let's yeah let's, I mean, um, above it
0: above it it's greed right above it it's a it's a wealth transfer but below at the at the you and i and joe blogs level it's it's ideology driven and I mean, going back to your point about uh, uh, Johnson pointing the finger at Ukraine and, and, and suggesting that, not pointing the finger at Ukraine, but suggesting that, hey, it's, this pinch that we're all feeling, is worth it because of that situation going on. Well, I, I think that that is a move to delegitimize any sensible conversation Joe Bloggs wants to have with Jane Bloggs on the Absolutely. subject because oh, you can't talk you know, I don't to look right. in depth at it because it's, it's wrong to think that way. Because, yeah, because they're and it's it's uh, it's a complete misrepresentation of the situation. And it's a shame. You know, I'm, I, again, going back to I think you mentioned it on the icebreaker, going back. Oh, in fact, before I even start recording, you know, I, I I'm having this conversation to inform myself here to hear other opinions i agree with some of what you say some of it i don't agree with and some of it i'm just undecided it's undecided but without without listening to other people who who formed decent opinions on the matter you can't inform your own thinking i think some it's a it's a lesson everyone needs to relearn it really does not just from a client perspective from from your know, interpersonal relationships to thinking about uh, um politics and left right and all of that it just uh with such an, I think, with so such a misinformed, oil-informed population at the minute, and I'm talking in a very, in when it comes to the West in general, it's uh, it's, it's terrible because it leads us down paths. We get led down paths that we don't really don't want to be. You know, going back to the, the way you've described the situation over the last few decades, if that yeah, you know, if that is how it is, how you've described it, and how these things have come to a head, a, bit, a major part of that is our own ignorance in, in it's it's
1: in. an enforced ignorance though we, we we're denied conversations we're denied debates um it's not that the people are in themselves ignorant or incurious i think there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in 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 how and what what's happening you know in the in the science of it maybe not the science of it but the the politics of it the the, the you know the people want to know um, you know, people want to take part in discussions. I mean, that's what Brexit was about, right? I mean, if you take this, if you want to take a broader view, people said, we want to be part of the conversation about how our lives are governed. And we, we don't want this to be a remote thing. Um, you know, and that gets, that gets muted and that gets, you know, that, that, that expression gets, you know, interpreted by various interests in various ways. But what clearer indication could there be that that people don't have confidence in a political institution above democratic control? But they do they do ask for the repatriation of their sovereignty. So I think people are interested um, if you let them. But I think you know, and to your point as well um, about you know stopping a conversation happening. That's that's what a lot of a lot of these sort of new organisations that are sort of a sort of analogous to hope, not hate. Um, and they, they want to, uh, and, you, and you, you see it from a number of journalists as well, they're sort of saying, if you question this, then you must be pro Putin. If you challenge this, then you must be, you know, you must be. And it's like, you know, I've had, I've had it thrown at me a couple of times as i mean, pro Putin. So listen, I was making films in 2014 in favor of fracking. I've, I've argued against the deindustrialization of the UK. For as long as I've been blogging, so since about 2007, saying it's a bad thing that we're ceding our manufacturing base to to the east. Don't tell me I'm unpatriotic. Don't tell me I'm a traitor, because I don't want there to be a war. You know, I've been I've been at this for over a decade and say you know so making the same arguments. I haven't changed, Um, but they will say that's what that's the kind of low tactic that they are they're inclined to do they set up an organization that will smear you and say there's a correlation there's a link between people who are skeptical of wind farms and the ultra far right racist fascists <laughs> you know and and they'll 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 you know they'll produce some methodology that will sort of make it look like this correlation has some kind of uh, arithmetic but it's just it's just silly, and it loses sight of the the debate. So, you know, they, they and they're and they they're 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 very powerful, and they they're they're moving towards the regulation of discussion on the internet, such as this, and on Twitter, and you know, the Online Harms Bill. Sure as eggs, as eggs, you know, an online harm, in most people's view, is is you know the obvious the the um the terrorists, the you know the child abusers. Right, but actually, what turns out is it's people being nasty to Ed Miliband. That's what's going to happen. That's where that's where the real the real effect is going to be, or, or or even Liz Truss for that matter. I just plucked him <laughs> out of the, you know. You don't be mean to Greta. That's online harm. Don't be, you know. um yeah. So so, yeah. so the the uh, so I'm not I'm not. That's that's almost as worrying as the
0: energy thing. I think. We've got a we've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Really enjoyed the chat. Really enjoyed it. Um, Is there anything you want to cover before we finish up? No, no.
1: um, Well, I'll say this. So, I mean, I I completely accept um, some. You know, you're saying um, some of what I will say. You agree with some, you disagree with, and I think that's what we've got to we've got to embrace that. And the the answers, and, I, and I'm sorry I couldn't sort of say this is this is how we're going to fix the energy crisis. The point, the point, point the important point, point is that we are allowed to debate, and we should debate, and we should we shouldn't be scared of putting our interests at the front of these sort of before these claims that the you know the polar bears are going to die. It's, it's perfectly as the crisis has shown, you've got to you've got to look after yourself first, and that's what politics. That's the sort of question that politics addresses. So people shouldn't be afraid of saying, "I don't care about climate change. I'm facing a seven thousand bill, seven thousand pound a year bill, and my business is going to close, and I don't know where the money is going to come from, etc." Right. So that's a perfectly legitimate position, and no one should be uh, scared of holding it, and no one should be uh, uh, put off by the science of the or the science of the the debate either. We so so it needs debate, um, and. Uh, uh holding holding politicians to account is is is, is essential to that too so so um yeah let's 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 not be beaten about the head by by scare stories that's what i'm saying and we've got to recognize that environmentalism as much as it looks like it's based in science it is an ideological movement and and it can be seen As an ideological movement with its history and its designs on society so um we should treat it like that whether we agree on climate change you can agree with climate change and agree something should be done but you don't have to be greenpeace member and you don't have to be a greta you can still put your interests first
0: yeah i like form an opinion have an opinion wherever that may be but make sure you understand why you've got that opinion one of the one of the worst things i i one of the worst things I think is when you ask someone, okay, they form they an opinion on whatever it is, They say, well, why do you think that? Well, or I just do. <laughs> that's not, that's, yeah. you know, if you can't explain why at a basic level, then you, you have to say to yourself, you have to question why you think it. And what you think may be right, but you have to understand why. Otherwise, what, what are you doing? You know, you, you lead yourself, form your own opinion, be, be your own boss. And, and that now, nowadays, it's, it's not the case because of the polarization, I think. And that's uh, and a whole other different kind of question. Ben, how can people um, listen, view, find more of you?
1: I'm on Twitter too much, far too much, all the time. I just got to turn it off. Uh, at climate resistance which is c-l-i-m number eight resistance um i have that's a blog not. yeah it was cool wasn't it you used to <laughs> use an eight, but are you, you, the fact is that that's exactly the longest you could make a twitter handle when oh. i could when i started yeah yeah um uh so you can't write climate resistance because it would be in fully because it would be too long and um anyway and it used to just be the blog you know just would put the the articles from the blog app I just tell tell people when there was a new article i didn't i didn't wasn't an early adopter uh then um i've got a website www.climate-resistance.org sometimes that gets updated with the stuff i've been doing um there's an author archive of all the stuff i've written at spiked um if you type ben powell spiked that should come up well i'll get there i'll get the
0: links from you i'll put them all in the blurb podcast and are you on youtube as well
1: i'm on youtube yeah um i think I think it's just Climate
0: Resistance is the channel
1: title. It's properly, properly spelt, so, but you can search for Climate Resistance and it'll, it'll come up. Um, substack? No. Stack, yeah. Yeah. People, keep, people keep saying, why don't you subscribe I'm too busy on Twitter. Um, so maybe I should maybe I should just drop the Twitter and do the Substack. Uh... <clears throat> I'll
0: do both. Uh, both, yeah. Maybe half of much Twitter. <laughs> Ben, yeah. cheers for the time. Hopefully, catch you for a brew at some point. And i um, so. No, it's been a pleasure. Good pleasure.
1: Great chat to you. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. That's it. If you enjoyed this episode, why not become a Hower patron? HR patrons get exclusive access to. Premium content. There are private interviews with previous guests and with this guest that nobody will see except for the HR patrons. So, before this podcast was recorded, I recorded an exclusive QA, a shorter interview structured around eight questions. All the questions were chosen by patrons beforehand, and that interview is online now for patrons. That happens every time. Patrons also get access to all of the episodes before anyone else, they get advanced viewing of the episodes and you also get other perks and bonuses all of the information is on charliecharlie1.com just hit the menu item become a patron it'll show you everything there including access to the hr discord community and private patron only channels on there so go to charliecharlie1.com and hit the menu item become a patron easy peasy thank you for being a supporter subscribe to the channel and i will catch you on the next episode thank you